We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and of course, I'm joined by Cheryl Broderson, her friend. Yes, my friend, Cheryl. And we are here to bring you part two of uh, Selena, the Countess of Huntington. And we don't have as much as we did last week. Right, right, right. But that's okay, because we can tack on a special story I love from that. one of our listeners. Plus, we have some key things we wanted to say about Selena. Yeah. yeah. She was really amazing and we She really was. We want them to know. That's good. And we did want to give we had to give some more background and fill in things with uh, the Methodist revival and all of that. So I want to say this though. She was an abolitionist until she inherited George Whitfield's estates in Georgia and South Carolina. Ah, that'll make an impact. Oh yes. We will yes. We will loop into that. So yeah, um, because some... I think that's important because Absolutely. otherwise people are going to go, wait, I thought she was an abolitionist, which she was. Mm-hmm. In fact, she held very firm views that she wanted to see the Indians and um, the slaves evangelized. Love it. And she wanted them to know the gospel. And so she made special efforts and gave special support to send evangelists to the slaves that. and to the um, Indians. Mm-hmm. And and you know also about the um, Bethsaida Home for Boys? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it's it's good to mention that, too, because this is, again, the like-mindedness that these people had. John Wesley was calling for the abolition of slavery, too. And this was 100 years almost before—well, maybe not quite 100, but several years before Wilberforce came on the scene. And so they were very yeah. much ahead of their time Probably with all of about this passion. Probably or 60 years before abolition. Wilberforce. Yeah, which, you know— It was the 1800s, Saying right? something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was late 17. They were early 17. Okay, perfect. So, yeah. Yeah. So— um, yeah. So again, I was thinking we, early 1800s. Wilberforce. Yeah. Well, the abolition was 1807 and 1833. Those were when the bills were passed. That's what I thought. We started before that, yes. I think. So, um, yes. So where we left off, though, remember there was that unfortunate misunderstanding. Some people played it up bigger than it was. I think it was just the mercy of the Lord because both of these men sincerely wanted to preach the gospel, and so I think in His mercy, God kind of covered a lot of. These uh, these warts and these uh, misunderstandings and tensions. And again, Selena had to play a role in trying to be the glue and keep people together. There was, this is interesting too, after that whole issue with the whole Calvinism-Armenianism thing with Whitfield and Wesley, in 1777, there was another incident involving the Anglican Church and the Evangelicals that kind of put her in hot water. And she wound up feeling cornered into actually leaving the Church of England and becoming a dissenter through that whole process. And of course, that caused a ruckus among some of the Methodists because they were still viewing themselves as faithful Anglicans. And so, again, there were all of these just unfortunate, um, I don't know, there's those insidious works of the enemy to try to undermine and try to cause dissension and distractions and tensions. But again, in his mercy, God kind (laughs) of took care of all of it. Ultimately, the Methodists did become a dissenting denomination really after the Wesley's time. Regardless of Selena or the Wesley's attempts to prevent that from happening, they did end up becoming their own denomination. And it's interesting because the more Calvinist-leaning branch, which would have been supported by Selena and the and George Whitfield, they ultimately merged with the Congregationalists. So that's kind of interesting. And in America, the Congregationalists, one of their uh, key figures was Jonathan Edwards, who we've talked about before. So 
lot of interesting things going on here. Now, um, Selena obviously had to deal with theological controversy, but she also had her own um, flaws and weaknesses to deal with. We should always mention that to remind us all that these people are human. <laughs> she was known to have a pretty bad temper sometimes. And also because of her aristocratic station, sometimes she could act a little bit um, imperiously towards other people, be a little bit stubborn and rash. Um, but, you know, again, some of that comes from just that mentality, like I'm in the aristocracy. I should be respected. And I'm doing so much good yes. for the Lord yes. and for people. That Ex can lead to pride. Totally. And so, but the neat thing is, um, one biographer pointed out that by the grace of God filled with the Holy Spirit, Selena's desire and commitment to reach unsaved souls outshined the above. So it kind of overrode, again, kind of like Wesley and Whitfield. They had their misunderstandings, made some poor decisions, but their heart for Jesus, I guess God just, you know, decided in his mercy to just help them through all of that and not, not um, mar the testimony or end the movement. So... Uh, Selena's entire life really was marked by self-sacrifice and service for the kingdom and others in need. Um, fearing spiritual idleness, she once said, I dread slack hands in the vineyard. We must all be up and doing. And she really lived that out. Um, she nursed Sarah Wesley, who was Charles Wesley's wife, through smallpox at great risk to herself. I mean, that's highly contagious and she could have died. Uh, she also spent time encouraging the great musician uh, Handel during illness in his last days. I thought that was kind of random. So those mm -hmm. are just fun facts. But always willing to go to anyone and help them. And, you know, whether it was nursing them to health or providing financially to support, all of those things. And then, as Cheryl mentioned, after Whitfield died in 70, 1770, she really threw herself into abolitionism and uh, maintaining the Bethesda Orphanage. Remember, that was for uh, slave kids, right? And so this was a, a really... It Big was undertaking, especially because it was education. Yes, it was teaching them trades and reading and uh, giving them a very strong Calvinist upbringing too, <laughs> or a religious mm -hmm. view. Yes, all of the above. Mm -hmm. And then oh, during in 1776, when there was the War of Independence, there had been all these uh, slaves that had been loyal to Britain, mm, and they were promised yeah. their freedom. By the yeah, British. Yeah, that's right. And then when the British lost, uh, it was dangerous for them to stay in America. Mm. So the British agreed to relocate them in, um, New, is it New Brunswick? Oh, no, the, to Nova Scotia. To Nova Scotia, yes. right. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so um, after they relocated them, she was very uh, concerned about their um, evangelism, about their salvation. Crazy. So she actually um, supported um, pastors and missionaries to go and evangelize them. I mean, of I just all think that is just so um, commendable. It really that is. That she cared so much about the souls of people, you yeah. know? Yes, yeah, yeah. Nova Scotia and New yeah, Brunswick. Yeah, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, how random, and right? New Brunswick. That that would yes. happen. But that's, yeah, where all the loyalists went. They all went to Canada. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. And, you know, that, yeah, the whole, the whole orphanage connection there and then this whole— um, effort towards missions um, has carried on. And it's neat because the orphanage actually, throughout the years, it says it's been a tremendous haven of spiritual and physical comfort to many homeless children still, yeah. which is awesome. And that led to missionary work. The work in Nova Scotia led to missionary work in Sierra Leone. 
through this uh, former slave named John Marant or Marant. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he actually called his church plants in Sierra Leone her ladyship's churches in Sierra Leone. So that's how involved she was. That's right. It's really amazing. Also, too, she was one of the first. Um, she actually pushed, and you would love this connection, for the publication of Philip Phyllis Wheatley's uh, writings. Ah, her poetry. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she was the one who um, underwrote the expenses I and love it. pushed to have them published in Britain. Unfortunately, she was sick when Phyllis uh, Wheatley mm-hmm. visited Britain mm-hmm. and she wanted to meet. But she also was one of the first uh, to bring out the the writings of slaves and of, you know, black people to right. show how creative and um just encourage yes. the arts. They are not subhuman mm-hmm. like a lot of the, you know, slave owners wanted people to right. think. They were, and so yeah. she, but she supported um, their arts and their these books and brought them into publication. Uh, that Huge. was part of, you know, not only her abolitionist, but her belief in the equality of all men. Uh, mm-hmm. She was called well, an egalitarian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in that she believed all men were created equal, as we do. Yeah. And so she's like, this is so wrong. And just bringing those publications first time, first time in in English, you know, in in America Mm. and in Britain that these writings and their stories were published. And that's so, you know, again, her um, her reach was so broad, Mm -hmm. you know, in all of these things, like things you wouldn't even expect or think about. Like the arts and creative writing. Right. Right. Yeah. Supporting Phyllis Wheatley Mm -hmm. or even randomly. I'm going to go and nurse, uh, you know, handle in his illness. I mean, she just helped out in so many different ways. And she loved testimony. She loved the testimonies of people. And you were probably going to say that. No, no, that's great. Your stories of transformation. She just loved that. So cool. So, and and interesting, as you kind of piggybacking on what you said about her egalitarian perspective, and again, I've mentioned before that ecumenical kind of perspective she had as well, like of in terms of like, hey, if we all worship Jesus, we're all on the same team. You know, she she was very, um, I don't know, just very forward thinking, really, for that time. And it's interesting because. Um, you know, again, her generosity, her investment in the kingdom of God knew no bounds. And one Anglican minister named Henry Venn, he was a pretty significant minister in that day. He said, no equipage, no livery servants, no house, all these given up, that perishing sinners might hear the life-giving sound and be enriched with all spiritual blessings. That's how he viewed her. And on the other side of the coin, a nonconformist minister named Philip Doddridge said, the strength of her soul is amazing. I think I never saw so much of the image of God in a woman upon earth. <laughs> and I like those two comments because those come from both sides of the evangelical spectrum. Like I said, Anglican and nonconformist. And that really captures her ability, again, to build bridges, to bring people together um, among, you know, Protestants of every stripe. Again, very reminiscent of Hannah Moore. Uh, on so many levels, even again, that perspective on men and all men and women being created equal, black, Native American, white, it doesn't matter. It's so unusual back then. And, you know, she also um, she wanted her biography written. She had uh, tried to um, hire people to write her biography, and it wasn't until 90 years after she died. The oh first gosh. biography on her. 90 years. But she had even submitted her correspondence with Phyllis Wheatley. To be Aww. part of the biography, they wrote back and forth so neat. for years. Love it. And she had saved everything that Phyllis had written to her. Oh, that's so cool. But she wanted these, you know, some of the correspondence letters from George Whitfield and John Wesley yes. to all be part of this um, biography. Mm. In fact, it's interesting because one of the biographers actually went in and found 
uh, these letters and uh, some of the biographies will contain some of these things, which mm. is amazing. That's so good. I think I've read one or two. That's awesome. And yeah. that's so Yeah. And that's so important, too, like, you know, to kind of preserve for posterity. Here's what happened with this awakening, this revival that God did, you know, because she did. You want to give him the glory for all that was done. Uh, Priscilla Wong kind of sums up Selena's life and legacy. Um, by the end of her life, with all of her resources, her many achievements included the establishment of over 60 chapels, a college for the training of ministers, uh, which we've mentioned before, uh, the denomination, the Countess of Huntingdon's Connection. Um, it has been said that the Countess's financial contribution to the revival was over 12 million pounds. Wow. Which back then, I mean, that's a lot now. Tremendous. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. Um that would be hundreds of millions oh, of yeah. dollars today. Oh, yeah. I mean, just all for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Just so beautiful. So November of 1790, when she was 83 years old, she suffered a ruptured blood vessel mm. that caused a very rapid decline in her health. Uh, near the end of her life, she said, my work is done. I have nothing to do but go to my heavenly father. And that is exactly what she did June 17th, 1791. And she was? A life well lived. Uh she was— I think 83, but 80, I'm not quite sure. 83 or 84. Well, because, yeah, she got sickened when she was 83. So mm -hmm. was it the next year, 84? She was born in 1707. So you yeah. do the math, 84. <laughs> 83 or 84. And I love this. One of her—one biographer uh, tells this story that just kind of, I think, is a cute way to sum it up. Um, at one point, while she was involved in all of these Methodist activities, um, Peter Gentry writes, Her increasing absence from court was noticed— and led the Prince of Wales to inquire of one of the other ladies present, Lady Charlotte, as to the reason for this. Well, I suppose she is busy praying with her beggars, replied Lady Charlotte with a sneer. The prince said, Lady Charlotte, when I am dying, I think I shall be happy to seize the skirt of Lady Huntington's mantle to live me up with her to heaven. Wow. So kind of a put down from the Prince of Wales. It's like, oops. That's amazing. But again, yes. That's the, the legacy, the testimony she had on every level. You know, I mean, we're talking... Lower class, upper class, black, white. I mean, she Indian, just— Native American. Native American. Mm -hmm. She had this enduring legacy and such a beautiful testimony. Again, the glue that held mm -hmm. this revival together and allowed the Lord to do all that he did. Because so. she cared about souls. Yes. And you know, it's interesting that, the, that her life um, was extended for so long because we know mm. from the biographies that we've been reading that most people did not live. That's true. That— long. That's a good point. I mean, yeah. I mean, Theophilus died like when she was still quite young. I mean, it's right. amazing. Right. And uh, we had we had talked about how many uh, women died in childbirth right. too because of the um, septus, the unsanitary conditions. So mm -hmm. for her to give birth 10 times. Was it 10 or 7? Oh. 7 times. Again. 7 yeah. times. That's right. <laughs> that's right. In 10 years. Yeah. 7 times in 10 years. That's how I got but the numbers. But seriously, stuff, right? that is a miracle. I mean, mm -hmm. that was a constant fear, death mm -hmm. and childbirth. So, I mean, mm -hmm. the Lord preserved her, obviously, for a reason. So, I mean, yeah. and you can see, and, and to live just outrightly for the Lord and for the evangelism of souls. I mean, it just showed that she really believed in it. Mm. And then, too, you've got people that, you know, we don't talk about the men so much, but you've got like Bernardo at this time too, who's starting these orphanages all over England. George Mueller? No. Um, oh. He's the Italian. Oh. Bernardo, ah. who started these orphanages. In fact, there's still um, thrift stores in England, as they call them, charity shops yes, yes. Uh, for the children. He was a devout Christian and he, he was, a, he was a contemporary of um, mm. 
Absolutely. Maybe even, uh, yes, uh, a little bit before mm. even, you know, George um, Mueller. But uh, the amazing thing of of him starting these, uh, but it was Christians who were doing all the philanthropic yep. work is what I wanted to say. Yep, absolutely. It was believers. It wasn't the atheists yeah. it, or the new atheists that were rising up. They weren't doing the acts of mercy, nor was it most of the aristocracy. Totally. And they weren't. That they weren't pushing for this this equality among the classes. No, no. In fact, as I was just sharing Selena's story, I was reminded again of Elizabeth Fry. Remember when she went right. into the prisons and shared and read the Bible to the ladies? She would say, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have, you know what I mean? She brought herself into the state of being a sinner. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're all, we all come before the cross and together. isn't that such a biblical principle? Because when you intercede, you have to do the we. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, Jesus, he became incarnate. Yes. You know, he became part of the we. You know, I think there's that scripture that is referred to in Hebrews among his brothers that he made, he Mm -hmm. dwelt among men and he brought us all in. And that's what she saw. And that's what she wanted to promote with her life, with her finances, with her sacrifices, mm. and with even the uh, loss of her reputation in many circles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which would be like anathema to most people. Like, mm-hmm. why would you want to lose face in front of your aristocratic peers? So, Especially in Britain. Very, yes. In Britain. Especially in Britain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, And also, you know, when you're associated with George and Whitfield and oh, the Wesleys and the Wesleys who are getting beaten up and driven out of towns. Yeah. And, yep. You Not know, a good look. Right. They were enthusiasts. Right. They were Overly enthusiasts. enthusiastic. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Wesley actually got um, driven out of Penzance. I That's just one of the many places oh that he was driven out of. So he starts a prayer meeting outside of Penzance and starts praying for an open door to go back in there to bring the gospel because he said, anyone who drives me out really needs it. Wow. And Amazing. Interestingly enough, I met a couple who are renting the very house in England where that prayer meeting was held. Oh, man. Penzance. And he went back in, and sure enough, there was a great that is revival. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Whoa. They were praying about whether the Lord wanted the husband, who's a dentist, in the ministry. And uh, they mm-hmm. had a man knock on their door and say, did you know that you live in John Wesley's house? Oh, my house? gosh. Uh, the house he stayed he at. In, yeah. And told the whole story. And they took that to be. That's the uh, that's confirmation. Clear. Yeah, the Lord is doing something Isn't that here. amazing. <laughs> so I love the tie-in There's of these so many stories that were Absolutely. so long ago. They still, we're still reaping mm. the fruit yeah. of what Selena of Huntington did. Amen. Those many Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely. Uh, all these women that are worth knowing, mm-hmm. their fruit continues, as it says in in Revelation, that their their works follow them. Yes, I love it. Amen. Amen. And actually, that brings us following up to the modern day. Yes. I wanted to close with a story sent in by one Perfect. of our listeners. I love that. So, yes. Uh, her name is CJ Mannon. She wrote in to us from Australia. I didn't. I, I guess I didn't realize, like, oh, yeah, I guess this podcast is probably getting out there <laughs> a little further than I thought. And so um, she wrote to just thank us, which was so sweet. But she also wanted to share uh, a little bit about her sister, Gail. And so I just wanted to, you know, share a little bit of this story um, with us as we close up, uh, because it's a pretty, pretty interesting story here. So uh, her sister Gail was born in Zimbabwe, Africa in 1977. Uh, this is her older sister. So she just uh, really loves and admires her older sister. That's mm. what I gathered from the letter. So um, their dad was born in Malawi and their mom was born in Zambia. And wow. they were called by the Lord to minister as pastors to a small rural community called Wange. 
I probably said that wrong. Sorry, CJ. Um, <laughs> so during Gail's infancy, I guess there was a lot of unrest and civil war. There were it wasn't just one or two armies. It was five different armies fighting for dominance, which is pretty chaotic. And so Gail shares memories of that time. Wow. With uh, frustration. And it's cute. She said um, she was so she was three years old. And so she said, as a three year old, I couldn't understand why terrorists having a gunfight in front of our on our front lawn last night would mean that I was not allowed to go play outside in the morning. Wow. So in her mind, she's like, but they're gone. It's like, well, yeah, but it's never safe. Yes. <laughs> so in her young, innocent mm. mind, you know, she mm. didn't realize just how dangerous this was. So uh, now, is Wongi in Africa or is it in Australia? Um, or? This would be Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yep. yeah CJ's it. in Australia now, but Got yes. It. Got it. <laughs> so in 1980, terrorist Robert Mugabe uh, became prime minister. Wait, Zimbabwe used to be... Rhodesia. Ro- was it Rhodesia? I think. Wasn't it? Was Ro- which one was? I think it was Rhodesia, right? Okay, probably. We'll figure. Gosh. Oh yeah, the colonial era. Everything I'm gonna changed. Figure it out. Um, yep, you we'll looked that up. That. All right. By <laughs> so there was a rigged election. Mugabe's army took over the country by force, and in celebration, they would walk through the streets, shooting people, raping, and pillaging, especially white people, um, because they believed it was their their right. They had won it. That's you know again. That's this is what CJ's writing about all this. So um, my. Uh, their dad had been asking God if they could leave because this wasn't um, the place to raise his kids. By now, they he, they had three daughters. Again, Gail's the oldest and um, then CJ and her sister. And so um, exiting the country was very difficult. The government had put strict laws in place to prevent people from taking their own finances out of the country, limiting them uh, financially. What was it? Yes. Zimbabwe it used was to Rhodesia. be Rhodesia. Good job. And all Rhodesia right. was known for all the unrest and violence. We had all those massacres mm. that were crazy. Man. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think it was before I was born. I'm like, it was? Okay. Yeah, no, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, so, um, and so uh, finally, what their parents did was they left the country to go on holiday, supposedly, in South Africa. And then they ended up from there just migrating to Australia. So they pretended they were going on vacation and then just left. So they were fleeing the country, got to Australia. Um, her dad had a job that was not what expected. However, uh, she said um, that her parents' strong faith to trust God through every difficulty made a lasting impact on Gail. And so she decided to follow Jesus when she was only five. And so they hardly ever had finances, resources, but uh, their parents shared everything they had with others with the attitude that their mission is was to be missionaries to whatever community they lived in. Gosh, sounds like we could do a, a podcast on her, the rest of her family too, not just Gail. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they moved uh, regularly wherever her dad could get a job. Um, and by then they had a, a, another a boy and an, oh, two more boys. Okay, so Gail ended up being the second of six children. And one day she dreamed of becoming a mom, but she was uh, daddy's girl. And he was a visionary uh, who would talk about his ideas. And so Gail was active in implementing them. So by now we're in the early 90s. And uh, their dad discovered the need for clothing was so great in Mozambique, which was the country next to Zimbabwe. And the people were literally dressing themselves in tree bark. And so mm. they still had a heart for Africa. So uh, their family embarked on a mission to collect secondhand clothing, wash it, iron it, and send shipping containers. And so Gail, all of the kids really helped out with this, but Gail really began to take more of a role in doing this uh, ministry. Uh, when she was nine, she was baptized um, and has never had a crisis of faith. She's never looked back. She's just been faithful to the Lord her whole life, um, going through um, all of these things, um, 
feeling like, oh, and this is happens with a lot of people when they grow up and feel like, and they're just a straight arrow. She would hear all these stories of people with addictions and brokenness and struggles and feel like she didn't have a story to tell. But uh, after praying about it, she discovered that what became the theme of her life was to tell everyone, my God answers prayer. That became her testimony, she realized. She didn't have to have some wild, crazy story of drug addiction and broken relationships. Her God answered prayer. And that became kind of her trademark. So by the time Gail was a teenager, she was running the church Sunday school um, and reached children with the gospel. She was a rangers leader. Um, she became one of only two women on the state executive of Rangers Australia, which is a camping and life skills program for primary school age kids. Um, through her ministry at Rangers, she shared the gospel with hundreds of kids and saw a lot of kids and their families come to Christ. And so again, she just shared that testimony, my God answers prayer. And she saw it happen over and over again through these children's lives and their families. So she married at age 20, but it was a difficult marriage ending in divorce five years later with no children. Even in that heartbroken state, she saw God answer prayers. And, um, you know, God asked her just, would you just let go of everything, even if it means like this marriage is, you know, this marriage. And so um, that's what happened. And so the marriage ended, and he walked her through the pain, showing gentleness and kindness. Um, God was turning difficulty into good in many ways. One mother of the children she worked with approached her after hearing she was divorced and said, I could never identify with you, but now I know you're like us. And so that lady came to know Christ, and the whole family came to faith as well and was added so to the body. So that was pretty amazing. Um, Gail earned a degree in HR and marketing, spent many years working with Compassion, uh, going on missions trips to several countries around the world. Um, she has her own sponsor kid that she's gone to meet, preaches at events, preaches in the church, and creates opportunities for people to find what they're good at, passionate about to give, sorry, things that they're passionate about and helping them like implement that. So um, she did suffer severe breakdown at one point, was unable to work, battled through financial, emotional, physical, mental struggles. And it took two years until she was able to just start uh, volunteering and helping just a few hours a week, but the Lord has really healed and restored her, and she has worked tirelessly uh, since that time with uh, their dad to build Church for Life charities from scratch, which is continuation of that early ministry they were doing to send uh, clothing and secondhand goods back to Mozambique, but now they've expanded across the globe, and so uh, her work actually provides jobs for people both in Australia and internationally, uh, crisis assistance, um, work development for people. You know, it's just really amazing all that she has been able to do in spite of her trials and difficulties. Um, and it makes such a difference in people's lives. And CJ says, including mine, though she's now a leader in the church and head of a large charity, she still has the faith that started as a child. Her story is no longer about one answered prayer at a time. Uh, but she keeps a large diary of all the many answers to prayer that God gives her every week. Would you like week. a copy for that? So, of that? that yeah, is I so know. Cool. Well, how about that diary? Yeah, yeah. let's publish that. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So um, anyways, I just I thought that was such a sweet story. And again, it's sent in by one of our listeners from far away. So uh, Gail definitely is a woman worth knowing, an inspiration to her sister, and obviously to many, many countless other people through, you know, just trial and blessing in season and out of season. The Lord is using her. So... I thought that was pretty neat. I, I loved it. That. And that's why we want others to write in 
their stories. And I mean, this is CJ's sister. Yes. So that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you, you said that, that once. You're yes. like, hey, if it's a sister, not just somebody you've or heard Or your about. mom or a neighbor or somebody that you know who's never really been especially recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to do a shout out. So again, write those in. Um, you can write to Gracious Words mm-hmm. um, and look for the link to WWK or Women Worth Knowing. And yes. please write us. We love these stories. Obviously, that's why we're doing this podcast. Yes. So until next week, when we come back with another woman worth knowing, yes. this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut saying, have a great, wonderful week. God yes. bless you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.